We've gone over the steps of the crime and the investigation. Helen Wilson was raped and murdered in 1985. The six were convicted in 1989, then exonerated in 2008. But the case still lingers in Gage County, since courts found it liable for the wrongful convictions. Chris Dunker will guide us through how Gage County was found responsible and how it will compensate the six for their prison time. Kathy Gonzalez, James Dean, Deb Sheldon, Tom Winslow, Joanne Taylor, and the estate of Joseph White are all eligible to receive the funds. Unfortunately, Joe died in a workplace accident two and a half years after earning his freedom in 2008. I recorded these interviews on my phone, so please bear with me for the audio quality. I'm a reporter here at the Journal Star. Um, I've worked here for five and a half years, and before that I worked for five years at the Beatrice Daily Sun. So there's been a lot of news in the past couple of months about how Gage County will compensate the Beatrice Six for the $28.1 million payout. Can you tell us the story of how the county and law enforcement came to be found liable for that and how they decided on that number? After the six were exonerated, they sued Gage County in U.S. District Court for a reckless investigation that led to their wrongful conviction. After about seven years in court, there was a mistrial that was declared in 2014. It went back to trial in 2016 where a federal jury found Gage County and two individuals, Bert Searcy and Wayne Price, who were both sheriff's deputies, in the 80s and 90s and even up until a couple years ago they were still working for the sheriff's department found them liable of leading this investigation that landed them in prison wrongfully and essentially the jury awarded the six a thousand dollars a day for every day that they had spent in prison and together it was the six had spent over 70 years in prison for a crime that they did not commit after they, the jury found for the six, Gage County you know, appealed the decision first to the Eighth Circuit Supreme Court where a, pan, a three-judge panel sided with the jury and said that they didn't find any error in their decision. Gage County then appealed to the full Eighth Circuit Court on Bonk. Eighth Circuit decided not to take up the case. And then late last year, Gage County appealed it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court and earlier this year, the Supreme Court declined to take the case also, which finalized that judgment. Meanwhile, Gage County had been pursuing several different options, how it could potentially pay this judgment. One of those was through insurance. In the 1989-1990, when the six were arrested and ultimately sentenced for the crime, Gage County was insured by employers' mutual casualty. But in 1997, Gage County switched to the Nebraska Intergovernmental Risk Management Association. As part of their agreement to sign, NERMA agreed to retroactively cover Gage County back to August 2nd, 1989. So there was kind of two questions in this insurance dispute. Did EMC cover the county since they were the active insurer when you know, these bad acts happened? Did NERMA cover it since they agreed to extend coverage retroactively back to 1989? Late last year, a judge said that neither insurance company was on the hook to pay, so those options were out the window. Gage County had also examined potentially declaring Chapter 9 bankruptcy, which is allowed for municipalities 
I had looked around the country and there are very few instances where this is used. And under Nebraska state law, counties, the only revenue raising method that they have is property taxes. But county law caps how much property tax they can levy in a given year. Gage County last year raised its property tax levy to the maximum 50 cents per $100 valuation. That was going to generate an additional three and a half million would go specifically towards the judgment until it's paid off. So they were looking at, you know, seven, eight, nine years that it was going to take to pay down that judgment. State Senator Myron Dorn, who was on the Gage County Board of Supervisors until he was elected to the state legislature last year, introduced several bills in the legislature this year that would have given Gage County some options to pay down the judgment or get help paying the judgment. Two of those bills did not make it out of committee. A third option, which would allow Gage County to raise a countywide sales tax, did ultimately pass. It made it through three rounds of the legislature. This bill was narrowly tailored to Gage County's circumstances. It requires a county to you know, have a $25 million judgment against it. Governor Ricketts vetoed that and the legislature successfully overrode his veto in April. And so that law will go into effect in late August or September. And then the Gage County Board of Supervisors, two-thirds of the supervisors there, so five of the seven, will have to vote to raise the sales tax countywide to pay the judgment. It's estimated that it'll raise about $1.2 million a year, which would let Gage County pay down the judgment uh, a year or two earlier than it would have without this. And then since you're from Beatrice and you worked at the paper for five years, what kind of sentiments have you sensed in the town as they've gone through this process? You know, unfortunately, I think a lot of people still believe that the six had something to do with it, despite overwhelming evidence to the contrary. The narrative, I think, for some people has shifted. Well, maybe if they didn't commit the crime, they had some involvement with it. They were there that night. Even though there was no DNA evidence linking any of the six to the crime scene, it's an interesting situation, you know, because, like, I, I think there's a lot of people there that are saddened by the fact of what happened. But, like, if people were there long enough, they were, when, you know, these six were arrested and, and ultimately convicted and then they sat in prison for 20 years, you know, it just kind of becomes ingrained in somebody's mind that, yeah, that's what happened. And mm -hmm. I think it's difficult, you know, even in the face of overwhelming evidence for some people to, like, change whatever synapses in their brain are locked into that. I run into Bert Searcy every once in a while when I'm back down there, and Bert Searcy is still adamant that those people were guilty. And, and I've asked him, Bert, or, you know, told him, Bert, like, the courts have said otherwise, there's no DNA evidence, you don't have any physical evidence linking these folks to it, and, you know, I think he kind of exemplifies that mm -hmm. attitude. Yeah, it's, it's a, it's a sad situation from start to finish. Helen Wilson, everything, you know, the abrupt and violent end to her life, to these six people who just kind of took this charge without any evidence and without any way to kind of fight it effectively. Mm -hmm. 
to now what's happening to the entire county. And even, you know, Helen Wilson still has some family members that live in Hays County. So they're paying property taxes and the sales tax to pay down this thing that, you know, involves their relatives. So you've been hearing a lot from me over these past four episodes, but now we'll talk with Catherine Huddle, who, along with Joe Dugan, wrote the award-winning presumed guilty stories during their time at the Lincoln Journal Star. Kathy had been working as the editor of Beatrice's newspaper when the news broke about Bruce Allen Smith as the real killer. And she got started on the case right away. I'm going to be in Beatrice this afternoon. I'll just swing by the courtroom, the courthouse, and look at the doc. It was an entire, it would fill this room. One of the really unusual things about it is that it was the Nebraska Attorney General's office that reopened the investigation. And as you know, they're normally prosecutors. And so when... They found out that the DNA showed this guy was present. They reopened the investigation, and their complete intent was to reconvict the six. And the, and the more they dug into the case, the more they realized these people were not there. Through their reporting, Kathy and Joe talked to most of the story's central players. All of the members of the six, Bert Searcy, Dr. Wayne Price... And she knows them even past the quotes and actions we've seen from them in the stories. It was amazing. Joe Dugan and I interviewed Bert. And I think we were there with him for about four hours. And Bert could not sit down for more than a minute at a time. He was pacing, 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 pacing the entire time we talked to him. It was just crazy. And we would say, Bert, explain to us. This was a really, really small apartment. Explain to us how there could have been seven people in that room. This woman was beaten severely. She was raped. She was smothered. How could that happen and not a single one of them left one speck of DNA there? And he stuck to his guns and believed he was right. Is there any way that you can help us understand why he believed he was right? My opinion is this. Bert saw this as a career-making case. He had promised Helen's family that he would solve the crime. He says he got a tip from a confidential informant. And then the only thing I can say to you, Elizabeth, is he rounded up the usual suspects. My, in all the stories that we did, in all the interviews we did, my absolute favorite quote of the entire series. So I really wanted to talk to Kathy Gonzalez. Her only involvement in the crime was that she was living upstairs from Helen's apartment. So I think I spent about four hours with Kathy. Kathy knew she didn't do it. Kathy always knew she didn't do it. In that interview in her apartment, she told me, I remember what movie I was watching. I was watching a movie upstairs that night. And at one point, she looked at me and she said, they needed a bunch of disposable people, and it was us. And I think that's how it happened. I'll just say it was an honor to meet Joe White. I thought he was a man of some integrity. I'm not saying he was... Mr. Goody Two-Shoes back when he was a kid. You know, he had a pretty colorful past before this happened. He was a kind of a deadbeat, but he really conducted himself with a lot of grace for those 20 years in prison. Can you imagine sitting there day after day for 20 years? Now, Joanne Taylor, I don't think Joanne has any idea if she did it or not. Joanne has, deals with a number of mental illnesses. Poor Debbie Sheldon. I, I think Debbie Sheldon probably still thinks she did it. And, and Wayne Price convinced her to such a degree that she can't be, like, re-brainwashed out of it. James Dean, he's just not very smart. Tom Winslow is just kind of an unfortunate soul, you know? 
I, I think it was ineptness, and I think it was ambition, and I think it was a lack of oversight. I think one of the most remarkable things about the case, remarkable, is that Wayne Price, who was a part-time deputy, had actually counseled at least three of these six, and they sent him into their cells. They knew him, they trusted him as their counselor, mm -hmm. and they sent him into these cells to talk to them, and I believe that he convinced them the horrific crime and then the exonerations of the six long-held criminals, of course, has obviously made waves on Beatrice. Many of its residents, including members of Helen Wilson's family, still believe in the guilt of the original six. All right, so you said that when we were just talking before that you interviewed the family of Helen Wilson and that some of them believe that... Her daughter, mm -hmm. I think we met her at the bowling alley. And she was civil to us, but she clearly believes in Bert and believes that those people killed her mother, which is really sad on, on so many levels. After countless hours of reporting, Kathy has her own theory on what led Bruce Allen Smith into Helen Wilson's my, apartment that night. My scenario in my head, what I think, is it was really, really, really cold that night. Bruce was at a bar, he was drunk to get laid. He's stumbling down the street drunk. There's a light on in Helen's apartment. His grandma used to live in that building and I think he just blundered his way. And, and yes, it's a tragedy, Helen Wilson. God, she was, she died a horrible death and that's really horrible. But for Joseph White to die the way he did was, is absolutely heartbreaking. If, if I were Joe White's family, if my son had been wrongly imprisoned for 20 years, and then was working in a steel mill because the state of Nebraska had not paid him the money it owed him for wrongly convicting him and putting him in prison for 20 years, and he died working in that steel mill, I can't think there's a way on earth that you could forget that happening. To me, that is one of the biggest tragedies of this entire story.